0: Welcome to Quick History, a podcast where I give you a quick history lesson in 10 minutes or less. Paul Revere is coming. Paul Revere is coming. I am Matt. Welcome to the show. Everyone knows that Paul Revere rode his trusty steed through town yelling, the British are coming. The British are coming. That's not 100% true. It's actually almost not true at all. Paul Revere was born around 1734 and was one of around 12 children. His dad was a French Huguenot who immigrated to Boston at 13 and anglicized his family name before meeting and marrying a local girl from the west side named Deborah Hitchborn. Paul never spoke French and even fought against them in the French and Indian War. Paul was a silversmith by trade, but every now and then if the mood fancied him, he would be a dentist you know, as a hobby. He used his craftsman skills to wire dentures made of walrus, ivory, or animal teeth into his patients' mouths. In 1776, he became the first person to practice forensic dentistry in the U.S., and he didn't even know it. He identified the body of his friend nine months after the revolutionary died during the Battle of Bunker Hill. He recognized wiring he used on a false tooth, Also, he didn't make false teeth or even wood dentures for George Washington. Also, also, George Washington didn't even have wood teeth. When he wasn't banging metal around or participating in dentistry as a hobby, he actually made some of the era's most sophisticated copper plate engravings. He created illustrations used in books, magazines, political cartoons, tavern menus, and internet memes. One of his most famous engravings is a sensationalized and propagandist depiction of the 1770 Boston Massacre. Its widespread distribution helped to further resentment toward the British army and government. Paul was actually the leader of a spy organization. I spy, Paul spy. According to the CIA, Revere founded the first patriot intelligence network on record a group based out of Boston named the Mechanics. Before the American Revolution, which was not televised, he was a member of the Sons of Liberty, a political organization that opposed incendiary tax legislation such as the Stamp Act of 1765 and organized demonstrations against the British. Beginning in 1774, the Mechanics a.k.a. the Liberty Boys, a.k.a. Paul and the Revere's, a.k.a. Paul and the Mechanics, a.k.a. Paul and the Deftones, a.k.a. Paul Revere and the Boston Philharmonic, a.k.a. Revolution Number Nine. Number number nine. Nine. Number nine. They spied on British soldiers and met regularly. The well-known poem about them is crap. In 1861, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a poem about Paul Revere's ride through town, but he fabricated a lot of it. Paul wasn't alone on his ride, for one. William Dawes and Samuel Prescott rode with him. By the end of the night, as many as 40 men on horseback were spreading the word across Suffolk County and spreading horse crap all over town. They were used to it back then. He also never reached Concord, as the poem suggests, which means he never got a jar of grape jelly. The British showed up that night en masse, so the three riders split up and went in different directions. Paul Revere, our hero for the story, was captured and temporarily detained at Lexington. Dawes lost his way after falling off his horse, leaving Prescott alone, who was believed to have died in the war several years later. He's the one who alerted Concord's residents and got the jar of grape jelly. As I stated at the beginning of the episode, Paul didn't ride through town yelling, the British are coming. Why would he? He knew the British were everywhere. Quite the opposite is true. It was meant to be a discreet mission and since stealth bombers hadn't been invented yet, he had to fly under the radar as best he could. So he rode through the towns whispering loudly and nobody heard him so they all died. Maybe that last part isn't true. What is true is the people at the time all considered themselves British, so why would he go through town telling them that they were coming? They were already there. He might have told everyone the regulars were on the move. That's what they called British soldiers, a.k.a. the enemy. Paul also didn't ride his trusty horse for that mission. He actually most likely didn't even own one. It is believed that a Charlestown merchant named John Larkin loaned him a horse, with the promise that he'd fill up the tank before he brought it back. Unfortunately, the horse, named Brown Beauty, was taken prisoner by the British Army and never returned to this day. For as great as he was at warning people that they were there, he was a terrible commander of land artillery. In 1779, he led the Penobscot... Panawapskik expedition. British forces began building a fort in what is now Castine, Maine. In the following weeks, hundreds of American soldiers moved in by land and sea. The outnumbered British were prepared to surrender. The Americans didn't attack in time and the British gained enough help that they forced the Americans to retreat instead. Paul was charged with cowardice and insubordination, court-martialed, and dismissed from the militia. He was acquitted in 1782, but everyone continued to think he was a (laughs) pussy. Despite being a pussy, he went on to start and run a couple businesses, including a hardware store, a foundry, and eventually the first rolling copper mill in the US. He supplied materials for the historic frigate USS Constitution, which played a very important role in the War of 1812 and is the world's oldest floating commissioned naval vessel. He also made 900 church bells and one of them is still ringing every Sunday in Boston's King's Chapel. Revere Copper Products Incorporated still operates to this day. Paul also couldn't keep it in his pants. He fathered 16 children. Eight with his first wife, Sarah Orne, whom died in 1773, probably from giving birth to eight kids. Then he married Rachel Walker and had eight more kids. They all lived in a yellow sub, no, a townhouse in downtown Boston. It's Boston's oldest building, built in 1680, after the great fire of 1676 burned the original one down. 11 of his kids survived to adulthood, And at the time of his death in 1818 at the age of 83, which for that time would be like living to 170 now, five of his kids were still alive. Info for this episode was pulled from History.com without permission. Seriously, I need an alibi. Tell them I was with you the whole time. If you want to follow Quick History on social media, check out the official Twitter page at Quick History Pod. Have a good weekend and remember to be good or be good at it.